Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@somebodysay.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to somebodysay.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Coming and being part. Well, I want to begin this week and next week, part one, part two. I want to do a little series that you don't hear very often in the average church. It's a wonderful truth that's in the Old Testament and New Testament, and it's just loaded with encouragement on a bad day. It's called restoration. And whatever has been lost, stolen, or taken away by the enemy must be brought back in greater quality or uh, quantity or kind. The, the, the premise is you don't get back what you lost. You get back better or more than you lost. You, this is really hopeful and encouraging. And why I never heard it taught for so many years of my life is sad and disappointing. So all through the, in fact, one of the scriptures says, the thief shall restore sevenfold. So it was expensive to steal. Maybe our penal system could learn something about it. Instead of you having to spend a lot of time in jail, you had to spend a lot of time working to pay it back sevenfold. So that you, did, you made my happy factor go back up if you stole from me, because it's going to be better. So the enemy steals from people. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, I've come to restore. So I want to show you that truth and begin today and finish next week. Are you succeeding or surviving? Good question. Are you breaking even or breaking through? What's God's will on that thing? So this morning, if you'll allow me, if I really could use the title I want to use, it would be raw. It would be, stop being a good loser. When it comes to the enemy, stop being a good loser. May I remind all of us this morning that are followers of Christ, our covenant with God is not a covenant of survival or barely getting by. It is a covenant of increase. It's El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. And usually when people go through some severe warfare, they generally are thrilled to say, well, I survived it. But surviving isn't the very best. God's best is to overcome. Revelation, I'm sorry for using scripture, but uh, I am licensed, okay? And if you don't believe me, at least believe God's word. He says, they overcame the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. And that key phrase is, they overcame. Now, you can't be an overcomer if there's no fight. You've got to have to overcome something to be an overcomer. And so, God's going to give us power and give you a principle to help you learn to overcome and bounce back. God's best is to rule and reign. You've been made a priest and a king. You couldn't be that in the Old Testament. You get to be that in the New Testament. And obviously, God's best is more than enough. Not barely enough, not not enough, but more than enough. So a leader of survivors is not going to get very much to accomplish because everybody's just barely getting by. So we want to stop the mindset of breaking even and start believing for breakthrough. God wants to bring increase. Okay, Scripture, John 15, Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Mucho fruit. I'm bilingual. 
He didn't say survive. He said, I want you to be fruitful in what you do. So that's really important to renew your mind. And if there's not, you're just sitting dead in the water without momentum. If you have no vision, no desire, and no purpose, there's nothing to propel you forward in life. So the question this morning, has the enemy stolen something from you? You're fed up. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired and ready to get it back. So restoration is getting back what has been lost or stolen. Now, I'm going to read primarily from Joel, Joel chapter 2. Verse 23 says, Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain He sends demonstrates His faithfulness. Remember, they lived in an arid climate. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. And here's the result, verse 24. Your threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. That wasn't grape juice either. That was new wine and olive oil. Now, that sounds to me like piled high. sounds like abundance and restoration. Verse 25. The Lord said, I will restore to you the years that the enemy has stolen from you. I will restore. Now, that is what I want to that's what I want to focus on. You know, a football team can have the greatest quarterback in the league, but it won't matter how great his passing arm is if he doesn't have any receivers. Won't do any good to pass the ball. Spiritually speaking, God wants to pass the ball, church. There's nothing wrong with his passing arm. What's wrong is there just aren't that many receivers. But God says, I want to restore to you the years. So he says, I'm passing, church. Are you receiving? Well, how do you get into that place of receiving? First, you find out what God is saying in His Word, and then you act on it. When He says He will restore to you, make it personal. It won't help you for me to get it. God wants you to get it. You got to receive it. God wants to restore years. So how many years have you been a survivor? How many years has the enemy ravaged your marriage? How many years has the enemy ravaged your finances or your health? God says, I want to restore the years. Maybe you're a young lady in here, a mother with a single child, and maybe you married a bad guy. Maybe you were wild, young, you didn't think, you know, the three stages of marriage, lust, rust, and dust. <laughs> but you married the wrong person. It went bad. He was unfaithful. He's left you alone. Now, you can either go into a solemn assembly or you can believe that God's going to restore the years you lost, and God's going to put somebody in your life, and though those years are gone by, the years remaining, He says, I'll make them better in quality. I will make them richer and more meaningful to make up for the ones you lost. But you need to start claiming and believing that, not sucking your thumb, looking like sour, uh, walking around depressed and discouraged. You can say, yeah, the enemy destroyed that, tried to hurt me, did hurt me, didn't kill me. I'm still on my feet, and God is a God of restoration. He's going to restore the years I've lost. 
I mean, all of us have had some bad breaks or bad days, or maybe I, I talked to a man that was at the time in his 70s, and he said, Rick, I've wasted so much of my life. Uh, I've become a Christian. I'll never get them back. I said, that's not true. God will restore the quality of the years you have remaining to supersede anything that you lost in the back. Get yourself excited a little bit. Get a little more positive about that. So I got to get in a position to receive it. And Luke 5, just to show you the, the, the difference, verse 17. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, don't you know they were joyful to show up, these guys. Religious people always do this. They, they rain on the party. And so here come the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, and they were sitting nearby. And uh, they it says it seems they showed up from every village in all of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was present to heal them. The power of God was present to heal them. But if you read on, not one of them got healed. Why? Well, they weren't there to receive. They were there to judge. They, weren't, they were there to criticize, not receive. And they didn't receive anything. Religious people usually don't. But guess what? An outsider you wouldn't choose did. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside the house to Jesus, but they couldn't get in because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof, tore the roof tiles off, and lowered the sick man down in his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And they didn't even ask permission to tear up the man's roof. <laughs> Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up pick up your mat and go home. And these people who took their friend refused to say no. They didn't turn back when they said, we got no more parking. Uh, the fire marshal's about to close us down. No more seating available. Come back next time he's in town. They pressed through, refused to take no for an answer, and their friend got healed. And while the religious people got nothing, this guy walked home. I don't guess he even had an insurance policy, but that whatever his medical care was, it was free right there. He was carried in, but he walked out. He came in doubt, but he left in faith. He came without hope, but he left in praise. So let's get in a position to receive restoration and supernatural increase. I mean, it just seems to me that if we are, if we serve a supernatural God, and have the supernatural Holy Spirit, and we're filled with this wonderful spirit as believers in Jesus, something supernatural ought to occasionally be happening. Supernatural. That means something above the natural, right? So, Scripture says God confirms His Word with signs. So, if I get in a position to receive, signs will follow your believing. Now, Joel verse 25, Joel 2 verse 25. 
The Lord says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have taken from you, or the enemy has destroyed. So God promises to restore years that you've lost. There are people in this room who have walked in bitterness for years, and God wants to restore those years. There are people who have walked in lack and need and shortage and want for years, and God wants to restore those years. But you got to get fed up with the enemy stealing from you. You cannot be passive or compliant. And until you're fed up, you're not going to get serious. And as long as you're still sucking your thumb, complaining, and telling everybody how sorry you feel about yourself, you aren't fed up yet. I think the reason most people choose to cry and complain is because you have forgotten. Israel was always forgetting God. When Israel got to Jericho, saw these great walls, they forgot. Forgot what, Rick? Oh, 31 kings and seven nations that God destroyed before them? They've already come through. 31 kings, seven nations, and they're worried about some walls in front of them. They forgot. They forgot God fed them with manna every day. Pretty cool. Their clothes didn't wear out. Wouldn't that be nice? They forgot the times God came through. And that can happen to you and me. I heard about a wife telling a husband who's leaving for work. Now, honey, when you come back this afternoon, remember, remember, the movers are coming today to move us to a new home. Don't you come back here. Well, he forgot. He got off work late and tired. And sure enough, he drove back to the old house, and it was dark and empty. And he thought, oh, man. Today was moving day. My wife told me to remember. I can't even remember where we moved to. So he couldn't remember the address. He's standing in the dark on a sidewalk, and all of a sudden, the little boy rides up on a bicycle. The man said, son, do you know where this family moved to? And the little boy said, daddy, mama said you'd forget. (laughs) And folks, sometimes all of us tend to forget. So God wants to remind us of three things not to forget. Number one, don't you dare forget who God is. I don't care who's president or what administration's in office or what some North Korean dick. Don't forget who God Almighty is. Second, don't forget what God can do. He can do anything. If he can make a 100-year-old man have a baby with a 90-year-old woman, if he can open the Red Sea, he can feed you with ravens. If he can back up the sun 10 degrees and make it stand still, my God, what is your problem? You have forgotten what he can do. And don't forget, number three, what God has done. And as the old song goes, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Get your faith up a little bit. If you're still running around, whining, calling everybody in town, talking about your losses, you're not fed up. And until you are, you won't take any action, and you'll just continue to be a survivor. Now, you know, you may be in a bad place for the moment. All through my life, 73 years of life, there have been some bad places, but not once did I ever think that's a camping place. I said, I'm in it now, but it ain't going to last forever. It's bad for the moment, but it won't be bad forever. And that's proven to be true. But I never accepted. I don't, I hear young people say all the time, well, it is what it is. No, it ain't. It is what you permit. I am not going to suck down on it is what it is. No, it is what it is because you're too lazy to change it. Or you don't think you can. 
You, you just want to suck your thumb and be a survivor. Now, people say, how you doing? Well, okay. Okay is like kissing your sister. I don't know about you, but I either need a big, strong Starbucks or something better than that. That, that, that is not a motivating influence in my life. I love my sister, by the way. And she lives not very far from here. Desperation can be a good motivator. Would you agree? You get desperate enough, you'll produce some momentum. And that momentum will cause you to stand for God, stand on God's Word against the enemy. I mean, why would God tell us to resist the enemy? Why would God say to you, behold, I've given you authority to bind and loose. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. We're command. This is combat, warfare. You're not born again and put into a nursery. You're born again into battlefield earth. There's a war going on, and we have an adversary. So we ought to be smart about that and not become passive about it. And if you lose momentum, you're going to stop. That's bad. You've got to stand against the enemy. Another illustration, Nehemiah 4, verse 6. So we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. These people in Nehemiah's day are not survivors. They're believing they're going to build that wall. They believe in their leaders. They believe in the vision. They have a unified heart and spirit, and they've got an unstoppable momentum to see God restore their city, the broken down walls and the gates. So they're restoring. They're rebuilding the walls and gates of Jerusalem. The enemy has ravished them, left the city and walls in shambles. So the people are fed up with the situation as it is. They're going to do something about it and believe God for restoration. Well, that has to happen in my life and your life as well. And believe me, there are going to be obstacles to get you to doubt so you'll remain a survivor. In verse 7 and 8 of Nehemiah 4, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and Ammonites and Ashdites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they became furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. The enemy will always attack you before you get a breakthrough. Every time you set your mind to believe God, whether it's in your finances, marriage, relationship, or a dream, I'm telling you all hell goes online against you to try to discourage you so you'll stop. Boy, when the fight gets intense, you're on the verge of a breakthrough. You put on a full court press. You don't let up an inch. You're getting close. Now, why does the enemy, why does the enemy get angry? He doesn't want to see you recover anything that you've lost. He loves to see you in lack. He wants to see you suffer. He cannot do it to God, but he can do it to those God loves, his kids. And you know, I'm a parent. You hurt my kid, you hurt me. If my kids are hurting, I'm sure you're the same way. I'm hurting. So God can't be hurt, so he hurts what God loves in order to try to get at him. So uh, when you begin to stand on God's Word, you start to believe God. You get in a position to receive. The enemy will oppose you and get mad. Well, when I started praying for my husband, Rick, he got worse. That's right. It's working. Stay on it. The enemy wants you to back off. Back off. But you need to get a little dirty Harry in you and say, go ahead, make my day. I'll pray a little harder. I'll pray a little longer, but I will not stop. 
Verse 8, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Kind of sounds like the enemy to me. But Nehemiah and the people refused to quit. That's a good, put that on your refrigerator. They refused to quit. Kill the quit in you. There is none in the kingdom of God. Now look at the outcome. Verse 15, Nehemiah 6. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished 52 days after we began. Wow. So the wall was finished. The devil did not stop them. But boy, they had obstacles to overcome. And notice how quick they finished. 52 days. That's supernatural. That's not even normal. We can't get up a fence around our house in 52 days. If you can get a subcontractor to come out and finish anything, you're lucky. Some of you are saying, Rick, it's taken years for the enemy to take everything from me. It'll take years to get it back. Not so. Not so. Or there'd be nothing supernatural about it. God is able, he says in Corinthians, to make it up to you faster in a shorter period of time than you ever dreamed. David and his small militia were being chased by King Saul. And it says that they're out on a mission when they came home to Ziglag. Their wives, their children, and all their baggage, the stuff they had, had been stolen by a raiding party of the enemy and were gone. Everything was stolen. They lost everything. And the men are so, they're all crying. And they're, they're thinking about stoning David. And I'm thinking, David didn't do it. But that's the problem of being the leader. Everybody wants to stone you. But my point was, David said, Lord, should I pursue them? And here's what God said. Pursue. Overtake them and recover all. And David pursued and recovered all. And that's exactly what you have to do. You've got to be determined to pursue and overcome. The enemy is not going to keep what he has stolen from me. So God wants to restore to you in a supernatural time frame. Some of you don't have that many years to wait that you lost. And verse 16, and it happened that when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations saw all these things, they were disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. When God restores you, there will be no human explanation for it. And people will have to say, I don't know how you did that. I, that must be God. I don't, there's just no way that could happen naturally. So when Israel was brought out of Egypt, it was a supernatural deliverance. They had been in bondage and slavery for 430 years. Bondage, poverty, hardship. They had lost homes, wealth, and dignity. And God raised up Moses to lead them into restoration. But before they could get the restoration, God supernaturally brings to them increase. And look at where the increase came from. Exodus 12, verse 35. And the people of Israel did as Moses instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing, articles of silver and gold. And the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon the Israelites. And they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. So God supernaturally in one day brings a wealth transfer. In one day. Proverbs 13, 22 says, The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I believe you're about to see, and as a church, a wealth transfer that's supernatural towards God's church and towards many of you. And God has a purpose for the transfer. 
Now, some of you are so religious that if an unsaved man were to give me a million dollars for Summit and I accepted it, they'd leave the church. But if there were no strings attached, I'd take that money out of the devil's kingdom and put it into God's kingdom in a New York minute. If the enemy can steal from me, I can steal from him. I can plunder his kingdom and his goods as well. Christians have surrendered everything, art, education, media, everything. It's a sad indictment, not because the enemy was strong enough to take it, but because Christians were so weak and passive as to let it go. They were standing at a rapture bus stop singing, I'll fly away while the enemy stole everything. And you didn't go anywhere. And so that's a sad indictment. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Take over. Begin to influence areas of education. We gripe about the media. Well, why don't some of you educated journalists get into the media and have influence and impact because of your skill and greatness, your salt, your light. Salt doesn't do any good in a salt shaker. It's not doing any good in here. You got to get it out where you live, work, and play. It's not being religious. It's being impactful, intelligently so. You become good at what you do, you influence people around you. It doesn't matter whether you're whatever you are. So God's going to put some wealth in his kingdom. So I'm believing for supernatural increase for us even as a church, which means for you as a people. You know, if you're broker than the Ten Commandments, there's not very much we can do. Would you agree? Yeah. I don't find any verse in the Bible that says being broke is blessed. I don't see it. I see poverty all through the Bible mentioned by God as a curse. I am blessed. I'm not living under a curse. God has redeemed me from the curse, having been made a curse for me, that all the blessings of Abraham may come upon me through Christ Jesus. See, I'm standing on a scriptural foundation. And it's got nothing to do with who the president is. got nothing to do with who my mom and daddy were. It's got to do with who I am as a believer in Christ now. I'm a member of a brand new kingdom, right? So Israel's headed for the promised land for restoration. They've got vision now. They're going to get homes. They're going to get land back. They're going to get businesses back. They've got momentum, and they're a force to be reckoned with. So God had a purpose for supernaturally capitalizing Israel. And when God begins to capitalize you, I want you to know it's not just for self-indulgement. It's not just so you can buy more houses and more expensive cars, and God's happy that you have good stuff. He says, if you put me first, I'll add all these things to you. But it's not just for personal enrichment. It has a kingdom perspective. God wanted his people now to build and fund a God center, a place in the center of his people, the tabernacle where his his presence would come and dwell with his people. So in Exodus 35, verse 1, then Moses called together the whole assembly of Israel and told them, these are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. So the people began to bring what the Lord had required, verse 19. Then the children of Israel brought a free will offering. Free will means just that of their own will, if they wanted to, freely. This one wasn't commanded. That's on top of the gold, silver, and bronze. Then Moses told the people of Israel that the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And the Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. 
God did something supernaturally to this man that was not trained. God gave him great skill, ability, and wisdom and filled him with the Spirit. There's only two instances in the Old Testament where anybody is filled with the Spirit before Acts 2 in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit's released. And this is one of them right here. Amazing, huh? God supernaturally gave abilities to men to do what God wanted done, and He did it supernaturally. They didn't, they were, didn't serve apprentice. They didn't go to a seminar. God gave them this supernaturally. Verse 1, Exodus 36, the Lord has gifted Bezaleel and Ohaliab and other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle as the Lord commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Ahiab and all the others gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them the materials and the funds donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings and free will offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Verse 4, Exodus 36. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left the job. They went to Moses and said, hey, the people have given more than enough to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses, verse 6, gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, stop giving. Lord, would you put some of that on me, please? Before I die, I would love to say to Summit, stop. We've got too much. Well, they did it right here in the Bible. We have more than enough, he said. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more, here's those words again, more than enough to complete the whole project. That's overcoming. That's not break even. That's breaking through. More than enough. And that's what I want you to believe for, us to believe for, more than enough. I, again, it might be bad right now. You may be in a period of wilderness for the moment, but it's not permanent. You must know there's restoration coming. And the momentum of what God was doing in moving Israel from slavery to the promised land drew their spirit out of selfishness, out of a survivor complex, and caused them to become fully devoted believers. Question, how many things has Satan stolen from you in the last five years? Try to remember the state of mind and heart that you were in when it happened. Were you in a surviving mode, passive, compliant? Well, the only way the enemy can get it and keep it is when you and I fall into a survival mode of complacency and passivity, and we become a good loser. But the Lord says, I will restore to you the years you have lost. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does all these miracles for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am among you as the people, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be put to shame. Ever want to give something but you couldn't and you felt ashamed? How many times have there been needs for your wife or children and you couldn't supply it and you felt ashamed? But when God begins to restore, He says you'll have plenty, you'll be satisfied, and then you're going to praise my name and you will not be ashamed. And we appropriate all this by standing on God's Word for us. And at the end result won't be lack, but plenty. Listen to Isaiah 42, verse 9. 
Behold, the former things have come to pass, new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you about them. God said to Israel, I fulfilled all my previous promises to you. They've come to pass. Now I'm about to do new things. So I want you to get in a position to receive them. Verse 13, the Lord will march forth like a mighty hero. He will come out like a warrior, full of fury. He will shout his battle cry and crush all his enemies. That means his enemies are my enemies, and my enemies are his enemies. That's good to know. Verse 14, he will say, I have been long silent. I have restrained myself. But now, like a woman in labor, I will cry and groan and pant. I will level the mountains and hills and blight all the enemy's greenery. I will turn the rivers into dry land and dry up all their pools. I will lead blind Israel down a new path, guiding them along an unfamiliar way. I will brighten the darkness before them, smooth out the road ahead of them. I will indeed do these things. I will not forsake you. Listen, you who are deaf. Look and see, you who are blind, and who is blind as my own people? Who is as deaf as my messenger? Who is as blind as my chosen people, the servant of the Lord? You see and recognize what is right, but you refuse to act on it. You hear with your ear, but you don't really listen. And every mama in here that's got a kid, you've said that a million times. Billy, you are not listening. You did not listen to me. And every husband in here has had a wife say, you didn't listen to me. I heard you, but I didn't listen. Correct? Goes on in church every week. So God is ready to do something new, but his people are spiritually deaf and blind. So they're not able to prepare themselves for what God wants to do for them. So if you don't have a listening ear, listen at the tragic results. Verse 22. But his own people have been robbed and plundered, enslaved, imprisoned, and trapped. They are fair game for anyone and have no one to protect them or take them back home. And there's only three reasons you're simply breaking even or surviving or just barely getting by. Number one, you are listening to the wrong people. You are not listening to God. Number two, the leaders you follow aren't saying what God is saying. And number three, you don't have an ear to hear what God is saying. So what? You get plundered. You get robbed. You just live barely alive as a survivor. You know, when a sailboat has no wind, I love, I love water. I love boats. I love anything aquatic. It just sits dead in the water. It's called the doldrums. Doldrums, by definition, is low spirits, dull, gloomy. Don't look at someone next to you. Listless feeling sluggishness, or complete inactivity, or stagnation. Boy, that sounds like somebody who needs a double shot of restoration. Yeah. It does. And since most people speak from their feelings, all they're talking about is their condition. So God is wanting to restore, but nobody's listening. Nobody's talking it about and proclaiming it. So you must stand up in your home daily and declare restoration over your home, your business, your finances, your marriage, your children, and your health. And the atmosphere in your home is created by the words you speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if hell is in your household, you brought it there. 
get in a position to receive. Start saying what God said. These are days of restoration. Charge the atmosphere in your business, home, family, life with restoration, with faith. Does God want me to be sick? No. By His stripes, I am healed. I may get sick, but I'm going to believe God for healing. God says, let the poor say, I'll never recover. No. He says, let the poor man say, I am rich. Let the weak say, I am strong. So why don't you do that? Why don't you start? You say, but I just feel bad. I feel bad too. That's got nothing to do with what I'm going to say. I'm going to say what God said, so He watches over His Word to confirm it. I've been robbed twice. When we first moved here, our opening day in a rented house, came home from vacation, every door was open, every light was on, the siding on our cars was ripped off, the air vents were ripped off the walls, light socket, everything was stolen. That was my how do you do launching a ministry. How many of you know that'll, that'll take a, a hit on your happy factor? And then about two years ago, our home we currently live in was robbed. They cut the glass in a circle. Somebody skinny went through it and <laughs> took every single valuable in the house. Everything I've given my wife in 43 years of marriage, every gift had been given to me on my uh, 70th birthday, gone in a day gone. You say, did you, what did you do? Well, for a moment, I wanted to kill. That's what I wanted to do for a moment. And probably the enemy's putting thoughts in your mind like, well, you'll never get any, all that back. Ha. Huh. I immediately went through that house. First of all, I took a Glock and I went outside with a halogen and I did, I did the whole property line. Brandon went with me and I'm looking, I'm looking for this person or persons that did it. Not finding any, I went back, and then I started taking the authority that I just told you about. I declared what Proverbs says, the thief is going to restore sevenfold. You have no right to keep what you've taken from me, and you're going to bring it back faster and better than it was when I lost. And I'm standing before you today to say, it's already happened. Now, it won't do you any good if it works for me, and it doesn't work for you. This is a Bible promise for every believer. You have to activate that for yourself. You need to get mad. Say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. This is not going to happen. You're going to restore the years I threw away or I lost. You're going to restore what I lost in a bad business deal. You're going to restore what I've lost in finances or whatever. Now, sometimes it's because of your own disobedience or your own action. But you, all you do is repent. Say, I'm sorry. I take responsibility. And then ask God to restore. God is gracious. God is merciful. I just don't want to see you get beat up. The enemy comes, John 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. But God comes to restore. And God wants to restore the years the enemy has stolen from you. So start to declare what God is saying. Gain momentum. Stop being a survivor and become a fully devoted believer. Now you're in a position to get back what the enemy has stolen from you. You turn that setback into a comeback, and the enemy is going to pay. Become too expensive for the enemy to steal from you. And I'd like to do something. I'd like to lead us in a confession. After preaching that, I just think it's fitting. If you're not infirmed, stand up. Come on. Come on. Stand up. It isn't going to hurt you. Even if you're not a Christian, it is not going to hurt you.
And I want you to pray with me because there's something about your involvement. I could not go through everything you've lost, but you can. I'll just give you a simple outline. You ready? Say with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I recognize that the enemy has stolen from me, and I wish to take action against him. You yourself, Lord, said the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But you come to give life in abundance. So I take my stand with you. And in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Satan. I bind your work in stealing from me. In every matter in which you have stolen, I declare by the authority of God's word, I will pursue you overtake you and recover all that you have disowned. The thief shall restore sevenfold. I am demanding in Jesus' name that you give back what you have taken. All of my goods, my relationships, my health, my family, and my finances. I receive it back in faith. In Jesus' name, and I thank you, Lord, for helping me recover everything stolen from me. I give you the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Now somebody shout amen. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.